Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is the future of mobility and manufacturing with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game-changing technologies and business strategies to shake up the status quo in the automotive and industrial manufacturing industries and supporting ecosystems, and help them move in exciting new directions. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Yes, indeed. Bonnie in the house. Welcome, welcome, welcome. If you want to help make the world a better place, then it's time to run, walk, drive, hang out with the game changers. And this is where the best are. I have a quote from percentotech.com, an article by a gentleman named Bobby J. Davidson. Let me read a little bit of the quote, and that will set us up for our topic today. He said, let there be no doubt that the era of modern manufacturing has well and truly arrived. And what has made this possible? You guessed right, it is the cloud. Today, cloud computing is helping manufacturers to not just transform their supply chain, design and production processes, but also drive innovation, accelerate growth, and enhance the customer experience, all while lowering IT costs. That's the end of the quote. Could you think of anything better? So let's take a look at what this all means to us. Manufacturers and component suppliers have myriad options when looking to move their IT systems to the cloud. Why? Well, today, software companies, hyperscalers, and system integrators are changing their partnership and collaboration models to provide a more holistic approach. But there's a caveat here. Today, as we find ourselves in a time of extreme global disruption and business uncertainty, and you know we're looking at this through the lens of the pandemic, the COVID-19 pandemic that has put the world on edge and a lot of businesses on hold, has this new approach of shared risk helped or not? We have two experts who are going to help us figure this out, and we're going to ask in a few minutes David Bria. He's the America's manufacturing lead at Microsoft. We're very honored to have him with us. And Cyan Bose, Global VP for IMC for SAP. Also very honored to have Cyan to share their insights on Get ready for this, the good, the bad, and maybe the ugly. And our topic is manufacturers moving to the cloud, sharing risks during disruptions. And I'm going to put a question mark on that. So welcome, welcome, welcome. I am Bonnie D. Graham, as the man said, and I'm ready to have my guests introduce themselves. David Bria, you're up first. Welcome, David. I hope you're well and safe and, and everything is okay in your world. And Dave, why don't you tell everybody who you are and what your role is at Microsoft? Great. Well, thanks for having me, Bonnie, and thanks for the invite, Cyan. Uh, my name is David Bria. As Bonnie said, I'm um, part of the global manufacturing team at Microsoft. So I get the privilege of working with a lot of leading manufacturing companies to really help create the vision for where they want to go, kind of develop the strategy and how best to get there, and in some cases even um, identify partners to help deliver the business outcomes that they're seeking. I've been in manufacturing um, for over 30 years. I actually started working in a plant up in Flint, Michigan, three days out of high school. So had the good fortune to develop um, a lot of practical skills in, in doing that type of work, but also um, really learned about industrial control systems. I was an electrical engineer and got a chance to work in probably 20-some-odd plants through a co-op program. Mm. Um, since that time, I've, I've had a chance to work in consulting and also technology companies, including SAP, and it's really 
interesting to see how the the ideas are largely the same, but the way you enable them with technology has changed vastly. Interesting. David, question for you. I mentioned in my opening the good, the bad, and the ugly. Is it mostly good? Is it mostly bad? Is it mostly ugly or a blend thereof in terms of the value of manufacturers moving to the cloud right now in this this era of disruption we never saw coming? What's your, your quick overview, your take, if you will, David Briach? Well, it's it's a little bit of all three. You know, the um, thing that I'm shocked by when I get a chance to go tour plants is that some of the principles that defined operational excellence, even a, as recent as two or three years ago, have largely been forgotten in the pursuit of growth and the pursuit mm-hmm. of higher volumes and the pursuit of new channels. And so um, we're seeing leaders really kind of rethink the operating model, both at the shop floor and across their value chain. And um, those are the ones that are really providing the I think foresight as to what's possible. So there's a whole nother pack of people that are trying to get through um, kicking the tires with use cases. And I I call them science projects to really rethink how do they enable some of these capabilities at scale. And then there's really verticals that are kind of lagging in that everybody looks at their peers as competitors and they're waiting to see who's going to go first. So, so I think we're seeing all three um, coming out of this, you know, unprecedented outbreak. Um, I think we're going to see an acceleration of of company plans as as the recovery starts to emerge. Mm, I hear optimism and hope in that. I like that. Thank you, David Briar. Let's move around the table and have our second panelist introduce himself. Cyan Bose, welcome, and why don't you tell everybody who you are, what you do, and your commentary overview of our topic today. Go ahead, Cyan. Sure. Thank you. Thank you, Bonnie, for having me mm-hmm. as well. Uh, well, I'm uh, from SAP's Industrial Machinery and Components Business Unit, which is like the man- for the manufacturing industry. And as an organization, I would start with that, is our job is essentially to translate what's going on in the industry based on the current scenario and in general what's going on in the industry, how the industry is shaping up in the next few years, and utilize that and also together with what the customers need for them to do business in this new world for the upcoming years and translate that into innovative solutions using SAP's value chain of our portfolio management, development, solution packaging, go-to-market, and ecosystem, and of course, work with customers on the adoption. So that's primarily what, as an organization, what we do, and I am personally responsible for this manufacturing industry business operations in the two of our regions, which are North America and Latin America. Besides, I co-lead the strategic partnership program for SAP Industries when it comes to working with our friends from Microsoft. So that I'm so glad that David is with us today. Thank you. And, uh, <laughs> and I am, uh, I've been working in this industry for more than 15 years now. Of course, I also started off with the manufacturing industry. And interestingly, I'm a computer science engineering background. So now you can see how the manufacturing industry and my engineering background are coming together, which makes it, makes me super exciting. And from the past 15 years, of course, I've been, Besides manufacturing industry, I've done management consulting, technology consulting, and of course, solution pre-sales or solution engineering, and besides strategic strategic programs uh, for our boards, and also uh, now the solution management organization. So what actually interests me uh, is the fact that I'm always excited to talk about 
and meet with customers or manufacturing companies who are ready to break out from this red queen effect. That's something I really look forward to, and I always keen to work with companies on this topic. Thank you. I very much appreciate and admire the background both of you bring to this conversation, and I'm I'm happy to know that you know each other, and it sounds like you like each other. <laughs> I'm teasing you about that. I'm I'm glad, uh, David. This is the part of the show where I ask each of my panelists to have brought me a quote that is not specifically on the topic, something from a movie, from a song, something inspirational, provocative, and you certainly went the distance on this, David Briott, Microsoft. You sent us a quote from Talking Heads. The song is from Life During Wartime. Let me read a little background before I read the quote. I love the quote. The background is Life During Wartime is a song by the American new wave band Talking Heads. Their first single from their 1979 album, Can You Believe That? Fear of Music. It peaked at number 80. Eight zero on the U.S. Billboard Pop Singles chart. Its official title as the single, Life During Wartime, and here's where the quote comes in, This Ain't No Party, This Ain't No Disco, This Ain't No Fooling Around, makes it one of the longest titled singles ever. It was performed in the 1984 film Stop Making Noise, which depicts a Talking Heads concert. The performance in the film features David Byrne and background singers doing aerobic exercises and jogging, and the song is included in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame's 500 songs that shaped rock and roll. That's impressive. So I already read the quote, this ain't no party, this ain't no disco, this ain't no fooling around. David Brio, I love the quote. How in the world did you find it? And unless you're a real Talking Heads fan, and how does it relate to our topic today? Go ahead, David. Yeah, so I'm a huge Talking Heads fan, and um, with all this extra time, have had a chance to go back into the archives and listen to some of the deep cuts. It was something that kind of struck me. Um, you know, I think we've all seen movies and kind of thought about what might be possible at a global scale that none of us would have ever imagined that would be in the, the situation that we've, you know, been locked down, whether it's three weeks or six weeks, depending on where you are. Um, Life During Wartime was a song that, obviously speaks to a lot of us. There's a lot of other, I think, quotes or lyrics that people are probably familiar with, but um, nobody ever really imagined it could be true. So for those of you that like David Byrne, who's a genius, and the Talking Heads, go back and listen to that whole album. It's uh, pretty, pretty present relative to where we're living now. Very important. I I was a, a disco dance teacher and performer back in the day, David. So when I read this quote, I thought, OMG, this is really, really cool because life in the late 70s when the song was released, life was, we were, we were having a party. We were doing well. Very, very interesting. Uh, do you think there's going to be a, a comeback or a re-release of the song because life during wartime, we're in a pandemic type of a health wartime here? What do you think, David? Yeah, I don't know. I think uh, it's probably a good cover band tune for, for one of the more contemporary artists to pick up. There we go. Thank you very much. Okay, I appreciate the quote. Thanks for the research there. And Cyan Bose has sent me a quote as well. Cyan sent us a quote that most people think comes from Darwin, but it's really one of the six things Darwin never really said. So I'm going to read the quote. You're all familiar with it, and it's very apropos to our topic. It is not the strongest of the species that survives, nor the most intelligent, but the one most responsive, or alternatively, they say, adaptable to change. It was said by Professor Lee 
Leon C. Meganson in a speech in 1963. He is a Louisiana State University professor at the Convention of the Southwestern Social Science Association, and he was doing his own interpretation of the main idea in Darwin's On the Origin of the Species. So, Cyan, talk to me about this Mm -hmm. quote. Very interesting. How does this apply today? So, of course, when uh, the professor made the speech, I wasn't even born. I wasn't even planned to be born. But I did find this <laughs> I did find this quote quite provocative. And it's quite apt, as you rightly said, Bonnie, for the current times, which we are all living in, right? And when I look at the industry, what's going on, I really believe, and this is my true personal belief, that we, the company need to reset their business operations to this new normal. And they need to... They need to have appetite for big moves, and that's where the responsive ones, which I believe, if if they try to look across actions across the business, that will define the curve of how they will recover once we come out of the COVID-19 curve, whether it's a U-shaped recovery or whether it's a V-shaped recovery, right? And the responsive ones will also embrace higher reliance on these digital skills, Right digital processes. Of course, as I mentioned earlier, to break away from the Red Queen effect, right? That's why I believe now responsive companies, when they want to break away from the Red Queen effect, get out and define their curve of recovery, that's where the value of strategic partnerships will come in and that will help them together to navigate in this new world where the customer experiences are going to be completely changed. So that's the reason I picked up the code. Thank you very much. Very, very important. Do you think that uh, the cloud is going to help? That's really our topic today, sharing risk. You think that's going to help this survival of the adaptable, the ones who are responsive to change, but do something about it? Can they pivot? Are they flexible? Can they rethink their business models? What's your What's your thought on that, Cyan, relating to the quote? No, no absolutely. And, and that's where the cloud comes into picture. Uh, It's where they get the flexibility. It's all about the security. It's all about shared business risk so that the the manufacturing companies can focus on something that they specialize in and work together with other partners to help them realize that vision of the new business model, the shared business risk model, and manage the customer expectation. And that's where the cloud becomes handy. And the flexibility and the scalability of the cloud is something which is of paramount importance when I believe manufacturers will look at these, the new world after COVID-19. So, yep, absolutely. Thank you. Let me just run this back to David Briard. Do you agree with that, David? So, back to, you know, my quote, I think it's it's not time for fooling around, so it's kind of back to basics. I think the um, companies with whom we're working, they're dialing back some of the scale and ambition of their plans and or delaying the timelines, right, until there's a better view as to what stable looks like in this new normal. But that said, I think there's still companies that need help really rethinking what does this next generation operating model look like. In most manufacturing companies, people have risen to leadership positions based on doing the jobs below them. And so in their career, they might be lucky to have gone through a business transformation once, so it's it's quite a bit different than the way that packaged software applications have been deployed over the past couple of decades when you're getting into the cloud and you're really thinking about this concept of a digital feedback loop where planning execution and and the um 
reporting of, of what actually happened is mm-hmm. much more tightly integrated in digital workflows. It's, it's a, quite a different animal when you get into the details. So I agree with the concept. I think there's probably a double click we can do around, you know, what does it look like um, to be in the middle of one of these big programs versus what it was like when you were in the middle of rolling out a CRM application or an ERP type application. Thank you very much. Good quotes from each of you. I appreciate your time finding them. I have to mention, David, that before we decided to turn the lens of COVID-19 a little bit on this topic today, you sent me another quote from Clint Eastwood's 1988 film, The Deadpool. Let me just go through that quickly because I think it applies here too. The quote is, you want to play the game, you better know the rules, love. You want to tell us a little bit about how that applies to the topic as well, David? Yeah, so I almost forgot I sent that to you. I think my head was in a little different space at the time. So yep. the, um, the the applicability to the topic today is really that we're seeing industries completely being changed in terms of the rules of the game, the way that you know auto manufacturers played in the past, the way that consumer electronics companies played in the ta- in the past, and even industrial manufacturers. They typically went after the same customer segments you know, uh, manufactured certain products in the same plants and then distributed through known channels. And we're seeing a lot of the blurring of industry lines, whereas best Mm -hmm. practices from retail are making their way into manufacturing um, and vice versa, right? Some of our manufacturing customers are grocery stores, believe it or not, because they're making private label um, goods and Mm. products. So I think the rules of the game love <laughs> was inspired based on, you know, Clint and um, how, how um, tough of a guy he was back in those movies. But I think it's going to take equal confidence and courage to be able to start um, breaking some of those industry norms and in the ways that, that you know, the um, rules of competition have been written for the past several years. Thank you. And by the way, Deadpool was the fifth of the Dirty Harry series. Just wanted to say that. When horror film director Peter Swan, played by the one and only Liam Neeson, develops a Deadpool betting on celebrity deaths, he's shocked when a serial killer begins targeting those named blah, blah, blah. Okay, including himself, uh, including uh, Clint Eastwood, Harry Callahan. Thank you very much, all, all both of you, for the great quotes. Let's move in. I'm not going to take a break. I don't want to stop the momentum here. I think we've got a, got a good conversation going here. David Briot, I'm looking at your first statement, I'm going to read it. Why don't you answer briefly, and then I will ask Cyan for his comments on your statement, David, and then I'll pick a statement from Cyan's list, and he'll talk about it. As they say on the news, we'll unpack it, and then I'll come back to you, David, and ask you to comment on his. So, David Briah, here's the first statement you sent me. Very interesting. Lack of transparency to wild swings in both supply and demand has accelerated the V-U-C-A, that's volatility, uncertainty, complexity, and ambiguity that has already put manufacturers under pressure. David, why don't you unpack this, please? Sure. So the um, the acronym that you talked about is VUCA. It's something that's been around a long time. It was actually used in the military to test battle plans, and it's something that's getting um, a refresh as, it, as companies look at their supply chains the you know reality is a lot of companies have been under pressure around um, personalization of their products and customer experiences, the market pressure to reduce innovation cycles, so so being able to bring products to market faster, 
and then the variable demands across different sales channels along with regional and local requirements. The, the thing that we see today that's never really happened before is the wild swing, both from a demand standpoint and a supply standpoint, right? There's been acts of God that have wiped out production facilities and, and capacity of scarce materials and components. Um, likewise, there was a big demand fluctuation, you know, during the financial downturn um, 12, 13 years ago. We've never seen anything like this where it's really hit both sides. And this concept of VUCA is the volatility of what was planned has changed dramatically. Um, uncertainty, I think, is what you see in the stock market every day. The complexity with really trying to aggregate demand and then locate supply to meet that demand. And the ambiguity of not even trusted numbers, right? It's hard to know mm-hmm. what to believe on, on either side. And so it's really um, creating a initial point of desperation and then a focus on what do we do based on what we do know and what we can control. And so that's really where we have been spending most of our time in the past couple of weeks is just really helping companies to identify inventory find orders, get that converted into cash, and then think about, um, you know, production and capacity planning and things like that later. So it's really this kind of bunker mentality that we've been um, engaged with our customers over the past couple of weeks. Thank you. Cyan Bose, join us, please. Agree or disagree with David? So, Anything you'd like to add? Go ahead. No, I, I would actually like to add. So, because working with manufacturing customers, I mean, over the last couple of weeks, I mean, it's been almost a month now that mm-hmm. it's, we are not only looking at what's the kind of inventory which is available, we are also trying to look at that using the existing inventory of components or sub-assemblies, how can, is there a possibility to repurpose some of them into producing some even health-related equipment, right? Some of our uh, manufacturing companies are also going in that direction. So that's why I would say that having a visibility is one topic. Besides that, having a capability and a flexibility inside the manufacturing premises to look at these newer exceptional produ- products to be produced so that it can help the healthcare workers, right? So th- these are some of mm-hmm. the other options. The third area, which we are also observing, and which is something I'm, I'm sure many of our customers are companies are facing is in terms of the logistical challenges, right? I mean, you cannot move goods from one country to another. It's a global world uh, these days, and we have material supplies from all across the world. Using those current circumstances, how can you still plan your logistical movements, right? How can you shift production? So those are some also some discussions which we are seeing in the last few weeks. And the last topic, which I always like to say is, now I'm seeing uh, companies are also looking at how to redefine their manufacturing and supply chain, especially if the supply chains are too complex, so that they are better prepared when, if, God forbid, we have some kind of risk scenarios like these in the future, how can they take better action? So I'm seeing these three different uh, kind of actions going on within the manufacturing work. Thank you very much. David, anything you want to say coming back to Cyan before I move on? So we're seeing the same thing, right? Both mm-hmm. um, companies that are building some of these critical products, I think there's a list of city, uh, 63 different supplies and products that are critical 
to battling this COVID. And so there are um, also new plants being stood up and there's even retrofitted lines. And so, you know, back to some of these cloud-based architectures, these are temporary facilities in, in some cases. We're seeing furloughed workers being brought in to, you know, run the production lines. So they're temporary and being able to deploy capabilities to really help enable the workers to learn their roles and for the lines to get up and running at scale is something that companies don't want to invest in throwaway type solutions. So being able to Mm -hmm. help emulate the physical lines with virtual models and being able to do that quickly and, and more dynamically than in the past is one of the things that um, we're not only trying to do at a company level, really at a value chain level, because to science point, there's a lot of different companies that have never been partners before that have really stepped up and are making a difference. Thank you very much. I'm going to move to part of your statement number two, Cyan Bose. I'm picking mm-hmm. parts of this. It was very long, and I appreciate that. Let me read a little bit, and it has a lot of information here. You say, as manufacturers recover from the covid pandemic from the impact on their their businesses as they recover and build up production they need to stay focused on bottom line cost savings and then you say we see these priorities being more important than ever customer centricity serving the segment of one digital smart products and solutions digital supply networks smart factory servitization and outcome-based business models, given this real shock to manufacturing. You want to pick a couple of those, Cyan, and give us your thoughts, and then I'll ask, bounce it over to David and see what he has to say. Go ahead, Cyan. Oh, sure. Sure. So, of course, uh, what I meant by that statement was, essentially, when during the recovery, there has to be a little bit of an approach, right? How, how do we relook the new business? And that's where these looking at the business from the lenses of these strategic priorities will help. Now, if I look at the smart products and solutions, I'm an engineer, so I need to take that topic, right? It's all not about designing machines or equipments which can provide some data or which can perform. It's about providing digital capabilities in the product and also ability to look at what's going on in the product to define the product and do the engineering changes. That's what we mean by smart and self-aware products. It's also about having an ability in the product itself to do a self-diagnosis. So having ability to add more technology in the product to perform some activities and switch on and switch off some capabilities in the product. So it's a new definition of product management, product development. That is something I'm seeing and I, I foresee that manufacturers will leverage. And especially what we have also learned these days, a bigger reliance on technology is still helping you to continue with the business continuity plan. So definitely technology is going to play a bigger role when it comes to the smarter product. We did touch upon supply chain, so I'm going to quickly talk about an interesting topic, uh, which is more about service-related uh, revenue channels because customer expectations are going to change after we come out from this COVID-19 and there are to drive the business forward with the top line, but of course with the bottom line savings, is to have a lot of efficiencies and a lot of innovative approaches to offer different services to our customers. Like manufacturing industries depend a lot on their service-based businesses from a revenue standpoint, but moving on to newer outcomes 
based or performance-based models is something I do foresee that manufacturers will take it seriously, will invest a lot of time and energy into those additional revenue streams, and which also helps their customers, together with them and a network of other partners, share, as I, as I call, share the business risk. These are some of the areas which I foresee. I think it's going to give a new dimension into how business is going to look at and effectively driving not only the top-line benefits with these newer models, but also efficiencies by executing these within the companies and within the network of ecosystems. That's where the bottom-line savings are going to come through. Thank you, Sai. And David Briard, join us. What do you think? So the connected product angle is interesting, and we're seeing you know more and more discrete manufacturers in particular try to sensorize up their products and whether they're trying to drive new revenue streams or just get better connectivity, almost like the um, new voice of the customer in terms of how the product's being used, is being interesting. I think the challenge in the short term is that tends to follow the product life cycle. So depending on the nature of the product, you know that could be a couple of months to a couple of years. There, there's three other um, anchor points that we see these digital feedback loops making a big difference. Obviously, operations, whether that's a factory or a warehouse, really getting connected to some of the industrial technology, the OT-type systems, and even the machines themselves is something that's really creating a, a different type of a model. You hear the buzzword digital twin being used mm-hmm. in that capacity. There's also going to be a big change around how companies engage customers, um, obviously accelerating the B2B and B2C e-commerce type platforms is going to be the new way that most, most customers are going to want to initially engage. And that's already been happening, but I think it's going to become more profound. And then really the most important one to me is employees, is how do we really get connected to employees? How do you empower them? to do their job and something that we're trying to do here at Microsoft is move beyond the traditional white collar worker, Mm -hmm. the first line workers. So people that, you know, they may not have a desk or a laptop or even go to the same place to work every day. Uh, How do we really bring them into the fold and help them um, shape the course of the recovery and and ultimately the, the digital operating model? A lot of different models happening right now. Thank you very much. David, uh, Cyan, anything you want to say back to David before I move on? Cyan, Bose? Yeah, just just one comment on this um, operating model. And David, you did touch upon the digital twin. So, of course, I agree that, yes, the digital twin will play a bigger role in defining what kind of model. But I'm also, my comment would be, it's not just the digital twin of when, Customers manufacturing products are operating in their customers' factories. It's also about the digital twin of the engineering design, and it's also about the digital twin of manufacturing. So I call it the triplets of digital twin when they will be connected mm-hmm. in this new operating model. That's when abilities to either serve the segment of one or an ability to get to a newer business models will become more profitable because you're connecting all of them together. That's something I would like to add on top of what David said. Thank you. Trip, triplets. David, reaction to that? <laughs> well, <laughs> so the other buzzword that we use in that, in that um, kind of in-state vision is the digital thread. So it's really how do you look at the product lifecycle from conception all the way to end of life 
and really connect all the various functions across an enterprise and all the trading partners across the life cycle of that product. So those are really the, the big three is the connected products, the intelligent supply chain, and the smart factories that actually build the products. And we're seeing um, some really cool things happen inside the four walls of production facilities, things like directly dropping down the CAD drawings to provide more detailed worker instructions at their cells. This is particularly important when you're looking at companies with configure-to-order and engineer-to-order type type um, manufacturing processes, and then being able to apply some of the lean techniques that have characterized operational excellence for you know well over 50, 60 years to do things like variable tack time, um, being able to do in-line testing and feedback of any kind of process parameters that may be exceeding control limits. So it's really, um, like I said at the beginning, a lot of the ideas are old, but the way that we can enable these and make them a lot faster and even predictive is pretty groundbreaking. It's things that have been dreamed about but have never been possible until now. Thank you both. I just found an article on challenge.org. It's in their technology section, and it's titled, what does a digital thread mean and how it differs from digital twin? Let me just read a little bit and then we'll move on. They say digital twins and digital threads, that's T-H-R-E-A-D-S, are the foundations behind a digital transformation. They both enable new ways to assess practices, processes, and product concepts in a virtual environment, which is where we are now. Simply stated, the digital twin is the current representation of a product or system mimicking a company's machines, controls, workflows, and systems. The digital thread, meanwhile, is a record of a product or system's lifetime from its creation to its removal, which David just said. Both can potentially have huge benefits for operating models, revenue stream, and relationships in the future. David, did that definition do justice to what you were talking about, the threads? That does. It's a lot more eloquent than what I said, but (laughs) I buy it. Cyan, you you like this one too? It didn't mention triplets, but we have threads. What do you think? Yes, of course. No, it it did. Thank you. I I really enjoy doing research during a live show. It uh, it, it brings a little element of the uh, the interesting sidebar. I hope. Thank you both, David. I'm looking at your statement number four. I like this a lot uh, because it's got a keyword in it. You say no one provider can deliver everything businesses need today. So it takes a growth mindset, which we've already discussed, open ecosystem, and collaborative engagement approach to deliver success. And I'm thinking the collaborative is the key word here, collaborative engagement. So how do strategic partnerships, how are they working, what you call aligned partnerships now in this, we hope, looking back at the COVID-19 era rather than now we're kind of in the middle, but I think we're moving out of it a little. So what do you think, David? So I think one one thing that is kind of my premise before even going into that statement is that, you know, the biggest change has is, is been that technology is no longer the constraint. When you think about what's practical and what's economical, um, the third leg of that was always feasibility, and technology sometimes was was largely the um, the thing that limited what you could do on the other two dimensions, is we engage, I think the challenge is getting into that growth mindset. So we're looking beyond a use case. We're looking beyond two to 3% improvement on operating metrics, right? We're really trying to 
challenge the organization to think about what does your operation need to look like three years from now? I know that's hard to do in, in this current environment, but it really focuses on trying to anchor on some value areas or desired business outcomes rather than trying to lead with a type of technology. And then based on, you know, that end goal, being able to shape a strategy that really breaks it down into a phased roadmap. So the companies that have been able to do that, I think they're really designing their infrastructure to be um, something that doesn't get trapped or blocked in the future. People use the word future-proof, but it's really trying to pull together different types of technologies, usually provided by different um, technology companies in a way that can not only meet the business scenarios of today, but really be adapted to where the business is going to need to go in the future. So, you know, to me, that's the biggest challenge. Like I said, the um, leadership of a lot of manufacturing companies have never been through this. And Mm -hmm. the other big constraint is most internal IT organizations have grown up in an enterprise applications world where you buy a, industrial proven product, you run it to go live. Um, Typically it comes on a CD or you download it, put in a security code and then, you know, hand over the training and and let the users go figure out how to do that. Um, How to, how to use whatever the tool or system is. Um, That is not good enough in Mm -hmm. the world today. Um, I like to say go live is not good enough because it really is more of an iterative process where you're building capabilities that come together over time and they continue to get in, um, con- continue to mature and scale together. And that's really the, the biggest constraint is getting out of this. I think McKinsey used the word pilot purgatory, but hmm. where you're, you're trying to prove technology rather than deliver business outcomes. And a lot of companies get trapped. I think the quote was 61% the insufficient ROI as the barrier to scale. You know, to me, that's a failure of vision because if you're not thinking about the value up front, then no matter how, how well you prove the technology, you're really not um, using it as a way to move your business forward. Thank you. A lot of great information there. Cyan Bose, join us, please. What do you think? Agree or disagree with any or everything that David just shared? No, actually, I would like to add to that, and I would like to put a little a little uh, different way to look at it. So where the collaboration is going to happen, as David rightly mentioned, is around the engineering side, right? Whether uh, I'm a configure-to-order manufacturer or I'm an engineer-to-order-based manufacturing products of equipments or machines, I think the collaboration is now going to be more towards jointly developing the product and the configuration design with your design partners, that's going to be one of the key elements because now you will have to also focus upon the fact that, as David rightly mentioned, technology is not a hindering factor. So use all of that and drive more collaboration within the ecosystem for product design. Another aspect which I believe is going to come, and I think we did touch upon that when it comes to manufacturing, right? Whether it's in the manufacturing process planning, manufacturing operations, even on the manufacturing networks, the ability to partner with 3D printing companies or additive, using additive technologies to develop products, right? 
that's where I personally believe having a collaborative network and a collaboration with, between the ecosystem to drive industry 4.0 standards is going to be the key differentiator when it comes to the manufacturing side. The final, I mean, the third area when it comes to collaboration, again, leveraging the technology is all about the machinery companies or an equipment company is going for installation services. You can't do this all alone. You, it's better to have a collaborative network of technology providers as well as service providers to do your installation services, have a holistic view of the products or the assets they have produced and delivered to their customers, and of course, provide end-to-end field service and service management by leveraging collaborative platforms and bring different players in the ecosystems together in that platform to do the final end-to-end service and eventually get into a, a, a service monetization revenue channel. That's where I'm seeing the, the segmentation in which I would see the value of collaboration is going to come from going forward, just to add to what David was mentioning. Thank you very much. We've covered a lot of territory. I'm looking at the clock here. We have about 12 minutes left. Um, I'm going to read a quote from some Gartner research in your statement, Cyan, that you sent me before. I don't think we've mentioned Mm -hmm. this yet. Let's see if you and David have some comments on this. You say, with Gartner already predicting that 80% of enterprises will no longer use traditional data centers by 2025, and this was written in July 2018, the article was, or the research was, the data center is dead, and Mission Critical Magazine's research saying 68% of cloud services are delivered by hyperscalers. That was their article in October 2018. Experts predict the end is nigh for enterprise data centers. Long live the hyperscaler. Manufacturing companies are getting widely differing views for their digitalization journal journey from system integrators, hyperscalers, and software mm-hmm. application providers. So is there confusion about this? Or do you think is the writing literally on the wall and it's a virtual wall now? Siam, why don't we start with you? Yeah, so... No, I mean, it's it's not confusing, but the, the fact is, um, when earlier, right, I will, I will take a scenario. Of course, Gartner is predicting, they're all predicting, yes, companies will never get rid of their data centers, move to the hyperscalers. But the challenge which we were observing, and that's the reason I have my friend uh, David in the call together with us, is the fact that when customers were trying to look into and developing their perspective of how can they deploy and move into the cloud, helping them in their digital transformation, they were getting different kinds of points of view. I mean, we were giving different points of views, our hyperscalers, our, our friends were giving different points of views, the service partners were given point of view. That was even making it more complex for the customers to decide how to move, Right. That's where I believe that the value of these partnerships where is going to come from, where we provide a set of harmonized, prescriptive, industry's best practice processes and standards so that we can jointly help the manufacturing companies to move their platforms into the cloud. That's what I mean by bringing all the partnerships together. And it's not just us. Eventually, you will also see the network providers because 5G is going to make a big impact in the in, into the industry. So we need to have a joint collaboration with all of us so that we can really work for the manufacturing companies in their path to this transformation. That's what I meant by giving you those two quotes. 
Thank you very much. David, comments? What do you think? Well, I think a good example of, you know, what we're talking about exists within Microsoft. If you look at the way that our supply chain has transformed to deliver a lot of the the hardware products from, you know, Xboxes and HoloLens to Surface devices and peripherals, um, that entire architecture is built on an SAP and Microsoft set of platforms, technologies, and solutions that were architected for a global scale. Um, that's something that we talk about when we try to really differentiate a transformation versus another operational optimization exercise. And as we, um, you know, go, go to market together, that is really a reference architecture that can be used going forward. So I like to usually think of things through the eyes of, you know, companies trying to consider a similar effort. Largely what we're trying to do is take the role of a general contractor off their hands. So we could go in and say, look, this is what Microsoft's good at. This is what SAP is good at. If you put it together, we can deliver more value faster with, with less risk than you having to go deal with this individually and figure out how to you know cobble these things together on your own. So that's a really good example. I think we're doing that with other companies as well. But um, like I said, I think it's really trying to have the customer empathy and figuring out how we can deliver a joint offering that's better than us doing it on our own. Mm-hmm. Thank you very much, both. I'm going to open this up to both of you. We've had so much good information from David Bria at at Microsoft and Cyan Bose at SAP. We've covered a lot of well. We've I've learned. I just posted. I learned about digital threads. Didn't know that one. I've heard of twins. Triplets was a new concept to me. Talking about strategic partnerships, aligned partnerships, ecosystems, the concept of manufacturers moving to the cloud. Is it effective for sharing risk during disruptions? David, what else is on your mind? We have about three minutes before I'm going to ask you for your prediction on where this is all going, either by the end of this year or, let's say, out to 2025. But anything else you want to share before we get into our crystal ball predictions, David, briefly? Well, the one thing I would share is that, you know, while each company's journey is different and it does require this collaborative engagement model, including in (laughs) an open um, partner ecosystem, the journey tends to take a similar pattern. As we look at the roadmaps that get fashioned, it's really around um, the concept of horizons is, is what we've adopted within Microsoft. So the first phase is really taking the data that exists, getting it into the cloud so that you can integrate and align. There's usually a lot of quick hit type opportunities that mm-hmm. can fund the next wave of investment. That second phase is where you're starting to digitize workflows. So you're filling in blind spots, um, correcting data inaccuracies, and really starting to get opportunistic with some of the AI-empowered services. So this is where you're starting to get intelligent in pockets. The real transformation comes in the third uh, and kind of continuous horizon where you're bringing the capabilities together in a new operating model, this digital feedback loop, and then you're providing um, learning. In some cases, people are using the word autonomous mm-hmm. so that computers are making decisions. Um, manufacturing companies aren't there yet, right? They'll, they'll let computers go get the data and do the analysis, but people are still going to be making the decisions. But that tends to be the, the type of journey that we see most companies taking. And so our council is, you know, pick an area, um, 
that makes sense, that can deliver value, but make sure to think big early. And mm-hmm. then as you stand up the teams and the partners, make sure that you go fast and you iterate along the way. Thank you very much. Uh, Cyan, uh, why don't you yeah. give me your closing thought and then David, get ready with your prediction. I'll give you each 60 seconds. But Cyan, I have a little more time for you to share some other sure. words of wisdom if you'd like to. Go ahead. No, so I, I, so something actually finally I'm, I'm agreeing to one point about David with regards to the journey. Yes, we agree <laughs> that there has to be a journey for this. You cannot just bite and digest everything together. So that actually the journey is into three phases as David was highlighting. But I would say in the first phase, it's all about ensuring that your mission critical core business processes are up and running, leveraging the full collaborative partnership and the value coming in from all the players in the ecosystem like SAP, Microsoft, and a lot of service providers. So you set up the mission critical system. That's the foundation of your transformation. That's where I would say once the foundation is there, then you start extending and leveraging the capabilities or potential of additional intelligent technologies like machine learning, like AI, like deep learning capabilities, right? Leveraging IoT capabilities to at least then enhance or reshape the existing processes, which are already done in the foundation. That's what I would define as the value of having a joint collaborative approach in this journey in the second phase is to reshape this layer and reshape some of the business processes. Once these two layers are done, that's and when my point of view would be that you start looking at creating these newer ventures or newer business models. Of course, it's not necessary that every manufacturer has to follow the same process. It's depending on their different stages in in the business that they are already into that will define that whether they should just first do the lift phase or the core phases or they should do the reshape. But it's also, as I said, it depends on the maturity of the manufacturing company as well and define at what phase they are and what phase they should focus on. Thank you, Cyan. And David, I can give you Mm -hmm. 60 seconds for your closing prediction. It's crystal ball predictions time. David, what what do you see either by the end of 2020 or if you want to take a leap of faith, go out as far as 2025? I leave that up to you, David. Brian, Microsoft, go. I'll go farther, but, you know, I think we're at an unprecedented time, but, you know, times like these are what really sparks innovation. You know, looking out, in terms of how companies are going to operate in the future, like I said earlier, the, the lines of industry are going to blur. I think even the functions that existed within companies, as you look at the, the nature of how jobs are going to change. So there will be new roles and new skills coming into these manufacturing companies. And I think there will be a day when you're seeing new digital companies start up on a temporary basis. They're going to fill a void that exists in the market. But there will be a limited window just knowing how fast things are going to be commoditized. So look for temporary digital companies that will be manufacturing and running supply chains in the not-so-distant future. Temporary digital companies. Interesting. Cyan Bose, I can give you – oh, David was so concise. You could have 90 seconds for your prediction, Cyan. Use them well. <laughs> Go ahead. It's a gift. Yes. So, yes. So, it's going to be, I mean, my prediction is it's going to be future of completely newer kinds of production, newer partnerships, and, of course, new ways of working. 
that will actually compel organizations to accelerate their migration to the cloud. That's what I believe is going to see more and more. And of course, with a multi-cloud strategy, that's something I'm going to foresee as my part of my crystal ball with focus on data privacy, cybersecurity, of course, mm-hmm. digital user experiences and regulatory compliance. And last, I put, believe because of this collaboration and partnership in the cloud computing, it's going to unlock more potentials of intelligent technologies like AI and machine learning for business processes and for eventually bringing a lot of interoperability and openness because of these collaboration platforms. Thank you very much. Eloquent, both of you. It's been such a pleasure speaking with you. I learned a lot. I have to do a shout out to Judy Cubis at SAP who put together this wonderful panel. Two of you, but very mighty. You're both good talkers, great thinkers. And thank you so much for sharing your wisdom, your insights, your predictions. David Breha at Microsoft. Anybody looking for David, it's B-R-E-A-U-G-H is how he spells his last name. And Cyan, S-A-Y-A-N, Bose, B-O-S-E. If you want to look him up, Cyan goes by the, let me see what your handle is, the, T-H-E, Cyan Bose, S-A-Y-A-N-B-O-S-E on Twitter. If you want to follow him, I appreciate that very much. Uh, and shout out to everybody at SAP behind the scenes, including Judy, of course, who's the sponsor of this series. I also want to do a shout out to Aaron Keller, my engineer extraordinaire with wor- with nerves of steel. Aaron, I don't think we've taken a break on a live show in about two months. So thank you very much for, for letting me just do 57 minutes of live radio because I love these panels. I love these discussions. And it just doesn't make sense to me to interrupt the flow. So thank you to everyone. And here's my call to action. We're just about time out now fasten your seatbelt. what are you waiting for go out and be a game changer today right now today i don't care if you're home sequestered isolated do something do something digital do something virtual but be part of making change happen be a game changer today just like david Bria at microsoft and just like cyan bose at sap bonnie d graham signing off for another edition of the future of mobility and manufacturing with game changers presented by sap be safe be smart be well talk to you soon bye bye Thanks again for tuning in to the future of mobility and manufacturing with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Please join host Bonnie D. Graham again Tuesdays at 7 a.m. Pacific, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week.